Hi everyone, Tobias here. Just to let you know that in this one we did have a couple of audio problems that we just couldn't get rid of and we don't want to rubbish the entire recording. So hopefully you guys can tolerate it just for this one. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Hello listeners. Hello. Me and Hello. Craig are talking rollerball today. Yeah. Uh, in our untitled podcast, which we will name at some point, probably Is by that... the time you listen to it, it has a name. Oh, but... for sure. For yeah. Sure. Like, now right, right, right now, we're just talking to ourselves. We're, we're insane right now. Yeah, basically. That's what it's like. <laughs> uh, okay. But we can't wait to have listeners. Sure yeah, they're... we can't wait for people to listen yeah. to our, mum, our rumblings. Hi, uh... mum. <laughs> yeah. Shall so... we uh, tell the listeners future listeners uh what this film is about oh well rollerball is one of my personal favorites i really really like this film it's a film that my dad showed me um it's a film about like a dystopian sort of like corporate led future where entertainment has become sort of hyper violent and rollerball is such a cool fictional sport um, that is hyper, hyper violent. People die playing it all the time. And it's very much akin to those kind of movies uh, that have like these sort of death game. Uh, I'm telling you, man, death game, uh, death game, dystopian future. That is a that is a genre in of itself. You've got like the Hunger Games as a more modern example. But there's like Running Man. There's Battle Royale. There's Death Race 2000, which came out around the same sort of time as Rollerball. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Death Race 2000, but it's so good. I love it. I don't think I've seen that one, actually. Oh, okay. We know what the next episode will be. Ah, okay. Death Race 2000. I love this film. We'll talk about Death Race maybe later, but Rollerball, yeah, it's one of Mm -hmm. those. It's one of those kinds of films, very akin to a lot of these films that we've seen in the past. And, you know, I, I suppose the details beyond that we can sort of get into uh, as as the uh, podcast continues. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that's your basic setup. You know, dystopian future, uh, death sport. Yeah. Blood sport. Yeah. And it, I love this film. How, what did you think? This is because I, I love this film and you've never seen it before. So what do yeah. you, what, are, what are your thoughts? So, uh, yeah, we, I watched it uh, a couple of days ago. Um, it was uh, kind of what I expected, I guess. But actually, I, I think before we were just like, uh, we spoke a little bit about this film. You kind of said that a lot of it really is the action. But actually, I was surprised how much uh, there was going on in the background. Actually, that was mm. quite good. And I actually quite like that because I'm not really like a massive fan of sports movies. But because it has that dystopian aspect to it. Yeah. It feels a bit deeper. Uh, there's uh, some meaning behind it all. Um, so, yeah. I feel like this is a sports film done right. I, yeah. I really do. Like, and I think when sports films are done right, they really are very good. Like, I, I don't have any interest in American football, but I've seen some American football. For, sorry, listeners, if you're American. But I have seen some American football films that I'm like, oh, if only I liked the sport. I really <laughs> like the movie. Um, the original Longest Yard and the remake. I, I like both of them. So 
uh, yeah, and Little Giants. I don't know if you've seen that. That's a film from my childhood. Love it, but I didn't understand any of the rules <laughs> of American football. Uh, but I love the film. Um, so yeah, when sports films are done right, they are really very good. Yeah, uh, this is up there. This is for me. It's one of my favorite films. I I always think of it in terms of like legacy. Like we were talking a bit about this uh, in the previous podcast about the Godfather Part Two, mm. how how it kind of changed some of the rules about cinema. And I think that uh, Rollerball maybe not changed some rules, but created probably. I think it probably even invented this genre, at least in film. I think probably it existed maybe before in books, uh, but I'm not sure. I I can think of any other kind of death game dystopian future. Uh, kind of films before this i think it what year did it come out 1974 or something like that i think 75 but i got a feeling death race 2000 might have been earlier i'm not ah. entirely sure but i've got a feeling but everything else i've mentioned are definitely post running uh, uh definitely post rollable mm-hmm. um, and to be fair death race is like it's more like wacky races you know uh, than it is like an actual sport. Oh, I remember this film now. They remade it at some point, didn't they? Their phrase. Yeah, with, yeah, with Jason, Jason Statham. Statham. Yeah. yeah, they said it in a prison, but like in the in the original, the objective is to kill civilians on this cross country race. Whereas the remake, it's more about surviving the other com- uh, competitors. Mm-hmm. So they do change the rules of the race a lot uh, for the remake. And I much prefer the original because it's much more satirical um, and it lampoons like the media, government, corporate America. It's very good. It's very good. It, it, as much as Rollerball is good, although I'd say Rollerball is a lot more grounded and not mm-hmm. as like in your face with the satire as Death Race 2000 is. Death Race 2000 is very, very tongue in cheek, whereas I think Rollerball takes itself quite seriously. Yeah. Mm. So when I what I really liked about it was um, this corporate future that they're envisioning, like where corporations yeah. run the world, and mm-hmm. there's no there's no nations anymore. I think uh, was it Cletus says that he remembers when there used to be free nations. Yeah. And like now there are no nations. There's just uh, the energy company. There's this company and that company, and they just run the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I I I think that. Because uh, like obviously there are things about the film that have aged not so well. Like obviously the aesthetics to it is <laughs> like, uh, the, yeah, this is not the future you're thinking is going to happen. Um, mm. But the idea, this uh, idea of corporations kind of running the world, I think is something that's still very, very re- even more relevant now. Actually, I would say absolutely than absolutely. Uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. And also, it's kind of like it kind of predicted globalization because globalization wasn't really a thing people talked about back then in the seventies, yeah. I believe. It's more yeah. the last 20, 30 years we've seen that. So it's quite well, this interesting. Is it. This is, I really do like these sort of these dystopian future uh, films, you know, from the 70s, you know, because they really do, you know, they come full circle. You watch them back nowadays and you're like, damn, like they had something, man. They had something there. Like when we make them now, you know, we have heart, we have the gift of hindsight. They, you know, this was predicted in the 70s, mm. like, um, but it, it's funny that you bring up uh, the aesthetics uh, because apparently the filmmaker, I think his name's Norman Jewison, mm-hmm. um, he uh, 
he cites Kubrick as a very, very big influence, especially Clockwork Orange for this huh. film. And I, I think aesthetically you can see it. Uh, but in the in the choices of music, he took his inspiration from 2001 uh, Space Odyssey because he felt that uh, when you have classical music, it's timeless, so it never ages. That's... And what makes me, they say what makes me laugh? It's it's literally the only thing that didn't age. <laughs> really, <laughs> uh, the whole film is so seventies. Yeah, but the, yeah. The music is like definitely as timeless as two thousand and one, but you know, uh, it just made me laugh that his intention was to make it feel timeless. Like it's so seventies. Yeah, I was actually had a note about the music. Ah trying to seem timeless by using something that uh, mm. is, feels older. And I was like, oh, that's interesting that that's actually something that was intended. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, classical music has never died. I mean, you know, some of these pieces are hundreds of years old and they still hold like this because they've been used for so many different things. Like they all have this cultural weight even now. And like you, you hear a certain song, it invokes uh, an emotion you probably saw in a movie. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. With that piece. Um, like I, you know, that, that piece of music where it's like, you either think of X Factor or you think of the beginning of Battle Royale. And like, that's every time I hear that music, even like when my mum puts X Factor on when I was a kid and that that music would come up, I'm think I'm seeing Battle Royale in my head. Like I can't help it. I really can't help it. Um, speaking of like the 70s and not feeling timeless, I'm going to shoot something at you, Craig. Mm -hmm. What year do you think Rollerball is set in? I don't you know, think they mention it in the film. So I actually saw, uh, that's funny you mentioned this, I saw this like uh, chart of dystopian movies and the years that's mm. supposed to happen in. Uh, oh. I think that it's not too far from today, isn't it? It's supposed to be like, like 2027 or something like that. Well, I mean, you're not far off, but believe it or not, it's meant to be 2018. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're four years past it now. So, you know, thank God we survived. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, 2018 uh, it always makes me laugh when we've lived past... Uh, the future in a in a great great film like Back to the Future when it got to 2015 everyone was like well it's not Back to the Future yet so mm. gotta wait a bit longer but let's get back to Rollerball so um, let's get did you like the film were you a fan because oh, I love this film yeah yeah I I, I liked it uh, and immediately I saw I kind of guessed where it was going because I think there have been so many films that have tried to replicate this mm. like. Uh, uh, there's always someone pulling the strings behind uh, like a boss or something like that, trying to stop the guy who's doing really well, like at the sport or whatever, to mm. to make it or at least make them do something. And then they decide not to, and they seem a hero. You know, it's exactly like with James Khan's character. And I think that the most obvious one that people will see today is Hunger Games when they see this yeah. film. Um, yeah. But I think there are a lot of other films that have uh, the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and like the whole plot of the movie is basically he's just getting too popular, basically, isn't he? And they well, need. Well, this to... is it. I mean, we 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 sort of learn this slowly, don't we? Because like 
that we we the movie opens on like a re like it just establishes the sport. It doesn't set up any story. It's just here's a like a a fifteen minute scene. This is what the sport is. Get on board. It, like it perfectly opens the film. It's like okay, strap in. This is setting up the world. And mm. You get to see how the sport works. You see how violent it is, and then you see how they're celebrating and they really love James Khan. And then you know you think he's going to get something great, and then he gets called up into the office, and the guy's like, "Yeah, we want you to retire, basically," and he's being forced into retirement. And you know. I just think it's a great way to set up the the um, the film because you know it, it it perfectly sets up the world, the attitudes of the people within that world, and then you see all this praise on one character, and then boom, you know, it's being ripped from him, and you can't help but like strap yourself in. You're like, okay, I'm really I'm strapped in for this story. I'm really interested in the plot. I, I really think this film works on so many so many you know yeah. it's levels it's directed brilliantly i was also thinking about how they started the film and how it progresses like uh in the next few scenes like when he goes to see bartholomew and mm. i was thinking actually this is kind of a bit uh sharp for a 70s movie because some 70s movies they really drag it out uh back then there there's so much setup that's not always necessary it doesn't always get into the meat of the action, you know. It kind of uh, holds back and sets up several things. Well, I feel that, um, yeah, with Rollerball, it really just jumped right into it. This is the thing. This is how yeah. it's gonna, this is what's happening, and it just goes on. And there's not really like it doesn't feel like we're ever hanging back for a second. It yeah. just it just it just go. The narrative directs the the way that the story is told. You know, there's nothing That's else it. happening. Uh, no tangents really. It just mm. really, yeah. It made it made sense actually, and it was quite quite nice to see that in a seventies film. And they don't over-explain it either. They don't over-explain themselves. Like you do have to pay like a modicum of attention to to get what's going on. It's you know, it's not it's not hand spoon fed. It's just very well told. It's very mm. tightly made. Yeah, great. I mean, look, I'm really glad you like this film, man. I'm really glad. And I hope <laughs> anyone listening, if you haven't seen it, please go and watch it. It's a cracking little film. James Kahn's character, he's just sort of getting too popular amongst, you know, the people. And, you know, I, I suppose, because um, I think even James Kahn's confused, like, why they keep bringing this up like they're afraid of him. And he's like, why are they afraid of me? He doesn't really get it, does he? Like, hmm. he's cl he's clued in enough to figure out, you know, something isn't right here. But he doesn't quite get it. It's like, I mean, what what do they want? What is there, what is there um, to gain from making him retire? I think we find out that he's been playing rollerball for what? Like, 15 years or something? He's the only player to have survived. Like, most players die in the game so he's like this big cultural hero you know that like this guy just can't die <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah and he has no intention of retiring he's like this unstoppable force and everyone loves him like they like no one's cheering for the team they're all cheering for him mm, even the other side i noticed even the other times. side yeah exactly so it's like the whole world loves this guy he gives the whole world hope 
for for some kind of you know to to rise, I guess. Mm. So I, I suppose he threatens this sort of totalitarian system that these you know corporate um, these corporate bigwigs are trying to um, establish. I mean, they've already established it, um, and I suppose his refusal to quit is him sort of rising to John Connor level. Like he's going to be the the leader of the resistance. Like you know, all the all the rebels will rally behind him because. You know, he, he's at the front line. You know, he's going to become John Connor, you know. Um, yeah. And even I think Bar- Bartholomew, he explains in a later scene uh, towards the end, uh, the game was not designed for people to be good at it. You're supposed to die. Yeah. You're supposed to fail. Uh, no, no one's meant to live through it. Yeah. you're. Sp- it's yeah. The whole point of the game is to crush uh, individuals, belief in an individual spirit, you know. Something along those lines, uh, so they keep being dependent on the the system that they currently have. There are no alternatives. You can't be an individual and do what you want. You have to rely on us and do what we tell you. Uh, mm-hmm. Standing out by yourself is pointless. You'll die. You know. Yeah. Um, keep to the status quo. Yeah, and he threatens that by being too good at a game that's not supposed you're not supposed to be good at. Uh, yeah. So yeah, he he shows the people that being an individual. Is possible, even though does he really feel like an individual? I guess I'm questioning the game and how it well, might show that. But I mean, I suppose let's get into some more details. But like uh, later in the film, we find out that there was some kind of history with his wife and the the and the corporate um, big shots. So we've got like this something happened where they took his wife away. Probably some kind of ultimatum, but do they? Oh, do they explain it? I don't recall. I don't an explanation think... in the film. No. So she, but she, she, I think her name is Ella. She comes and uh, visits him, and they sleep together and they walk around. I think she tries to convince him to just accept their offer. Like, um, there's a there's a discussion about freedom, and like uh, James Khan's character Jonathan is saying. Uh, Freedom is uh, being free to do what you want to do, while she says freedom could also be freedom of poverty and not having to, you know, having something to rely, having a, like a safety net almost. Uh, and I don't think, yeah, they don't actually explain um, what, what what could have happened. Uh, I think that one point at the, at the beginning they said they they say, but maybe it's not the truth, uh, that some other uh, uh, an executive liked her. So we had to give her up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's the, that, that's the thing. We know there's some history, but we, we don't. This is, as you say, we don't necessarily know how true. Uh, like maybe it was just to send a message or what have you. Um, but yeah, I mean, they don't over explain that. And this is one of those movies that it doesn't hold your hand. It's like, just get on board and you'll have a good time. Do you not love the sport? Like rollerball is so cool. It's, it's so a, it's a bit camp and silly looking at it, like with the roller skates and stuff. Like if if someone's going to oh. completely remake it as a new, like this, make this film again, but we're not going to talk about the remake. <laughs> not talking about that. Like well. remake it, but with a new sport. So let's say we kept well. the storyline the same, but the sport was different. I imagine today it'll be a lot more violent. There's and... basketball. Yeah, yeah. That's, well, uh, 
it, it's funny you bring up the remake because I, I watched this last night and I I tried to make it a double feature and I watched the the I tried at least to watch the remake after and I, I just fell asleep very early on. I was knackered after the first one. Like I had to squeeze it in. It's been a tight schedule. So I, I was absolutely knackered by the remake. So, But it's got Oz from American Pie. So I don't even remember him. I imagine this probably killed his career. It was crap. I mean, it, it, I mean, Rollerball the remake is. I mean, the 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 the, the actual sport is a bit crazier because they put ramps in there. I suppose the only thing missing from the original is ramps. If they had mm. ramps, it would be a lot more fun. But the I think the so I've, I've got actually a little bit of trivia. <laughs> so the audiences that watched the film actually loved the sport and loved the action. And there was word of actually developing roller sport into a legitimate sport, just safe. Mm -hmm. And the director, um, because the film is meant to be anti-violence, he really hated the idea to make the sport a legitimate thing. But people really wanted them to do it. And I can see why it's so bloody cool. You know, yeah, all right, I know what you mean about the roller skates, but motorcycles, people on roller skates literally beating the crap out of each other. Like, I reckon America today would love that shit. They love NASCAR. It's the same difference. Yeah. And it was quite interesting about uh, uh, the final uh, match in Rollerball in New York. How like so mm. they keep changing the rules throughout the film, and it gets to the point well, there's there's no substitutions, there are no penalties, and there's unlimited time, and it's basically just turned a sport into a death match. Because then it just becomes yeah. who survives. So I like imagine that they did that with football or any sport. So basically, we're not they're, we're not playing anymore. Doing, we're just gonna kill each other. <laughs> they're, they're, they're doing that with like uh, fighting sports, boxing, UFC. I mean, you see how beating the shit out of these guys get like you know i don't think i'd survive in a ring with conor mcgregor uh even uh, two minutes two two minutes i reckon i'm dead like I, there's I'm, no like concussion there's no coma i'm just dead i'm in the i think ground. i just shit myself and cry yeah and that that's just that's just what happens when he looks at you let alone what happens when he punches you so yeah i'm i'm out but Speaking of the rules, I have a little surprise for you. Mm -hmm. um, I have written down the rules. I have the rules of Rollerball right in front of me. Are you interested in finding out exactly how this game works? Yeah, go on, go on. Right. So uh, one game of Rollerball lasts for an hour, and it's divided into three 20-minute periods, right? Uh, we pretty much see that on the scoreboard. That that one that much is uh, is pretty obvious. In fact, everything that we I'm about to read is within the film. It's just been organised in uh, you know for the pod. Um, so each team has twelve players, and you've got nine skaters and three bikers, right? And then a steel ball is released into the ring. As you see, like it's like a a roulette wheel almost, and you have. Uh, and the first team to pick it up uh, attempt to go on the offence and the other team will try and defend or tackle. Um, 
But there are two zones. There's an inner rim and an outer rim. And you've got to grab the ball before it goes into the central gutter of the outer of the inner rim. Um, and when it does that, it's then out of play. You re-release the ball. So anytime the ball's out of play, the ball, the new ball is released. It's made of steel. I don't know if I mentioned that. It's made of steel. Um, a ball must be visible at all times. Otherwise, it's considered out of play or dead. That's... So if you cover the ball, that's yeah. out of play. New ball released. But Although there I are... do love... Go on, go on. I think there are a couple of moments where it's not completely visible. I think. I mean, in... I mean, James Khan can't hold it the whole game, Craig. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like, there's um, in the match with Japan, uh, Tokyo. Uh, I think there's scene. a moment. There is a, a bit where one of the guys on the Tokyo team scores, and like the ball is kind of hidden. I think, or it's mm. I don't know. They pass it very quickly. I don't know. But I was thinking, hmm, doesn't that break the rule about it not being hidden? Because I think. Uh, when they when the ball is uh, not hidden, they have to hold it up right in the air to show that they have yeah. it. Yeah, that's it. Well, I mean, th this this game sort of transcends rules. Let's be honest. I mean, uh, I'm going through tentative rules here. I, I don't <laughs> think I don't think any of these are for. Uh, I mean, and, and to be fair, I think the Tokyo game they did change like limited penalties or something. So maybe not showing the ball won't consider it as like a foul maybe oh, maybe yeah. could be just because they changed the rules but uh yeah it's meant to be visible uh, do you want to know about like the roles of the bikers and the skaters go on excuse me I'm just having a, a bit of water um so the bikers they can't actually attack anyone that is against the rules they can only block but they can't use force but obviously we see in the uh we see in the scenes that Obviously, skaters utilize the bikes to build momentum as well by grabbing onto the back. So they they have numerous different purposes, but they can't actually use force against the skaters. No one can use force against anyone on the floor. If they're down and you hurt them, that's a, that's a foul. And you give up a point to the opposite team as well. So they'll get a point. Uh, obviously, that goes out the window in the last two games. For sure. Um, people are getting beaten the crap out of on the ground. Mm. Um, skaters can use force against each other, but they can't use force against the bikers or players on the ground, as I've already said. So they, they can't actually hurt the bikers either, but they can hurt each other. And if there is a foul committed, the person who commits that foul goes out of play for three minutes and the other team gains possession and a point any foul the other team gets a point and they get possession so there you go that's the rules of rollerball and for harry potter fans out there i think it's like proper quidditch this is what quidditch should be <laughs> this is what it would be like in the muggle world yeah this is like proper no this this is like you know quidditch with a fucking flair like fuck fuck the quidditch that you grew up with that wasn't real Quidditch. What's rollerball? That's some serious level Quidditch. You know, that's like 3D chess compared to chess. <laughs> that's, what, that's what rollerball is to Quidditch. Watch rollerball, guys. I swear, it beats out Quidditch. Hands down. Yeah. 
So that's yeah. the rules of rollerball. Did you? I'm guessing you picked up on at least some of those while watching. The oh film. yeah, I think it's not too difficult. You you kind of just get it from watching it. Like yeah. there was there was no random hidden rules that you just kind of discovered part of the way through. Like for example, like. It's not like with football, the offside rule. A lot of people don't know. Mm. Actually, I'm still not even sure. I fully understand it. Uh, like, oh, come on, Craig. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's not any of these complicated rules that will just stop the game. Uh, it's, it doesn't have anything like that. You just you watch it and you get it. Okay, there's a metal ball. It has to go in that hole. Uh, people yeah. can kind of beat up each other a little bit. People die. They go around in a room. You get it, really. I, I, I suppose that's another rule I forgot to mention. There's two goals and you have to shoot in the goal. I completely forgot to mention that in the rules. Huh. Uh, my bad. <laughs> but yeah, it's not complicated. It's not complicated. It's very fun. I, I, I honestly, I wish they had made it a real sport. I love it. I love it. Even the death part. Even the death part. In fact, in fact, apparently... It's based on a short story. And in the short story, murder is actually the primary goal of Rollerball. So you're meant to murder each other in the original story. Hmm. Um, but we're obviously in the movie, uh, they're only, they only start encouraging murder um, just to stop James Caan, really. Just to, just to stop the rise of Jonathan. Yeah. Shall we speak of it? Go on, go on. About the the actors and other some other themes well, and stuff. So, what James Khan, yeah. right? I mean, look, he's a great, great actor, and I love him. I hadn't remembered just how like he. It's a very intentional, like wooden performance at the beginning, don't you think? When he's talking to Bartholomew. And it's very like, well, you know, my team need me. He's very, very reserved. He's like, my team need me. And he's mm. basically being told, you need to retire because you're getting too big. And he's being very, very calm. Like he's almost, like he's done this before. Like he's had similar chats with them like this before. And he's not, not remotely surprised by it. But they don't go into that. But I feel like he performs it that way. Um but it is an odd performance, I thought, because it's very, it's very like, I think in hindsight, I think it's because he already knows more than he should, perhaps. Hmm. He already expects it, maybe. I, I just find him in that role kind of strange anyway. I, I don't know. I, I think, I'm so used to thinking of him because we, we were recently watching The Godfather Part 2. Uh, well, he's not in that, but he's in the previous. Well, actually, he is in the he, end. He, he is at the end, yeah. Yeah, but my, my point was that um, I'm used to him being this kind of a, a very different way when I see him on screen. Yes. Uh, more energetic, a bit more agitated, aggressive, that kind of New York way of speaking. Um, and here he comes with very, yeah, like you said, very reserved. I feel he's mm. kind of trying to imitate a very simple sports star. Who just doesn't really think about these kinds of things much? He's just, you know, he loves the sport, doesn't think with his brain, thinks with, uh, yeah, thinks with his, yeah, you know what I mean. He, he's but, a sports but he, guy, but he seems to be a step. Like I, I felt that, it, you know, it, he it always felt like he was a step ahead. 
Like the, the fact that he suspected anything, I think surprises um, the guys that are sort of at the top, you know, and because it, it surprised me if I was him, I'd have just retired. I'd be like, this isn't, this isn't worth it. I'll just retire. You know, yeah. me, I'm the most famous man on the planet. I'd just retire. But, and I but... love, I love that like, you know, to what the, we'll probably talk about it in a sec, but like the, the end of the film where just everyone is watching that final death game and he is just showing up corporate America to the world. It's so well done. Hmm. You know, I, I know I... it's strange seeing him in a sports role. Yeah. Like you, you, like you said, he's quite energetic. So he, all of his energy is going into the actual game rather than, uh, rather than the performance, which is strange. It's not very, it seems very intentional from James Khan. I don't yeah. think this is a bad performance. This is intentional. And it, it makes me question, you know, where this character is. As I say, I'm pretty sure. I, I certainly took from it anyway that um, he's like a step ahead of everyone else. Maybe he pretends to be dumb or pretends to not know, but he's not stupid. Do you know what I mean? Perhaps, perhaps, yeah. Mm. You know, you know who else I was thinking about as well is the actor who plays Bartholomew. And like, I was like, I'm so sure I've seen that guy before. And I'm actually still not sure. I was looking up, looking him up on um, Wikipedia. And I'm like, mm. I don't know where I've seen him, but there's something about his eyebrows that seems so familiar. And like, the only other sure thing... You're, not, you're sure you don't think it's Ernest Borgnine? I don't think it is Ernest Borgnine. He's, the guy is called John Houseman. Uh, yeah. I can't say the name rings a bell. He, he was in The Fog, and he was also in uh, a Naked Gun film, one of the last ones. Oh. So, yeah. Oh, Naked Gun. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I hadn't recognized him, if I'm honest. Yeah, I think the eyebrows. I don't know. He, maybe he, just because he looks a little bit like someone else. Maybe he looks a bit like Alfred Hitchcock in a funny way. Um, <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Maybe. And, and then who else? You know what else I was thinking as well is um, the women in the film. I was thinking about the representation of certain characters. So we have, like, it's a, another way the film is kind of aged and, yeah, it's going to happen. Uh, like, with women... I feel actually I was a bit surprised by one moment in the film that I thought, ah, it's a bit more uh, open-minded than I was expecting for the seventies. Um, there's one when during the party uh, and the guy, I think he's called moon pie uh, takes yeah. a girl upstairs. Uh, and then a bit later you see her crying. It's like, ah, so they're acknowledging like, it's not just like, ah, everyone just wants to have sex all the time. There's like, these guys are not great guys, you know, yeah. they're, there is some misogynistic shit going on. It's like, yeah. I felt, oh, okay. I was a bit surprised to see that, especially uh, towards a character that you're supposed to have a bit of, like, you're supposed to identify a bit with him a little bit. Right, um, yeah. Because he's a good guy. Have weight. It's meant to have weight when, spoiler alert for those listening, but when he dies, that's meant to really hold some weight. You're meant mm. to like the guy. And yeah, you do see him you know, go out, take a girl into a room and then she comes out crying and it's like, well, he's not, he's, he's not he's the kind of guy. Her. Exactly. Yeah. He's not the kind of guy you'd want to spend much time with, but yeah. you know, we are meant to root for him. 
Um, so yeah, I suppose it's that sensibilities of the seventies, you know, that has been phased out in the last, you know, 50 years. Yeah. I mean, interesting that you bring that up because the little bit of the remake that I watched last night before falling asleep, the team is actually unisex. There's men and women in the team and they all share a locker uh, room together, men and women. They're all naked and getting in the shower and, and all the, and they're all there. So there's girls with their boobs out. There's guys with the, the schlongs out hmm. and everyone's like, no one pays any attention to it or except for one bit. I'm pretty sure that someone pays attention at one point, but it's like, it, it's made, you know, it's like someone does a come on, but everyone is generally just sort of ignoring the fact that everyone around them is naked. And it's just accepted that it's a unisex locker room, which, you know, goes very different with uh, with the original. I was also thinking about that as well, like um, about uh, men and women in sports. And I was just thinking like also like uh, the, the English uh, football team, uh, England's women's team, I think they won the Euro, right, recently. And yes, they did. Good girls. No one cared. Like, it felt like no one cared. It's like, come on. If it was men, everyone would be like, yeah. It'd be like partying on the streets, but the women win and like, oh, okay. I mean, no, it's funny you say that because when I was on Facebook, all my friends were saying, oh, it's, you know, it's come home. It's come home. I'm like, I, I thought it was the Euros. You can't say it's come home unless it's the World Cup. Then it's come home. So <laughs> I, I, on my Facebook, at least, people were talking about it and rightly so but they were getting it wrong it wasn't the world cup it's the euros so you can't say it's come home as far as i'm concerned <laughs> but yeah no good on good on the good on them i mean to be fair they did really well in the world cup as well last time they played like yeah they're a really good team the uh the women's england team they're very very good and they're they're getting more accolades than the men's team are mm. um so yeah i think the absolutely think women's football uh, should take its place in renowned sport. Um, yeah. You know, they did well. They did well to bring it back. Well, they didn't yeah. bring it back. They did well to win the Euros. <laughs> <laughs> I was also thinking uh, about what other things about women. So like also, yeah, a big thing that they're assigned men uh, yeah. throughout the whole film. And is that also a thing in the remake as well? Are people assigned? I mean, like I, that? I didn't actually uh, get very far. I think I watched the first game of Rollerball, the lock, uh, the locker ro- uh, scene, and then I crashed out. I was knackered, honestly. Honestly, I couldn't talk more about the remake, if I'm honest. There's no... There, I, I have no memory of it. I just can't imagine it being very good. It yeah. got, what, what did you say it got? Like a three-point something? 3.1 on IMBD. Uh, yeah, it's uh, you could fit that in the remaining stars that are not filled for the original. For the original, <laughs> yeah, it would. So it's got six point six. That'll bring it to nine point seven. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's embarrassing. That's, that's very embarrassing. I'm actually quite surprised that this film isn't rated high on IMDb. I can only imagine that's because not many people have seen it. I'm guessing. I, yeah, actually, let's speak about that because. For- I would put it at least a seven or an eight, but what, what's it's that good, right? Yeah, I don't see what's really I mean, holding it back, to be honest. I, I mean, it does feel very seventies, and of, of course, as I said earlier, the director really wanted to make it feel timeless. So 
I suppose it doesn't really achieve in that. Whereas 2001 Space Odyssey could come out today exactly the same and it wouldn't feel like it was made. You oh, know, really? Come on, you know it would. You know it would. Like, it's a fantastic film, but the way that it's uh, filmed will give it away. I Honestly, I really... I think if you... Okay, maybe not exactly as it was made. I still think... You know what? No, I'm going to stand by it. I really do think that you, you could watch that film today in the cinema and it's just as amazing as any blockbuster that comes out nowadays... I mean, not mu- not as much as going on in it. Sure, it's a very long-winded, uneventful film, but you know, uh, it, it's breathtaking. The shots are incredible. The set design is incredible. The prop design is incredible. Everything looks like plausible modern day, except the you know TV screens. That's the problem with this with movies in the sixties and seventies. All these r- really bad TV screens <laughs> all over the walls. It's in all of them, and yeah, like it, it, it does make the film feel very dated. I seem to recall it in Clockwork Orange as well. Yeah, um, even even Total Recall, which came out in like the nineties, does like all these big TVs and shit. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's always something that makes a film feel old. All these big TVs on the wall, uh, like nowadays when you do the future, it's like a hologram or something, which I also don't love. But maybe that'll actually be a thing. So, you know, may- maybe. But this is the thing in, in 2001 Space Odyssey. They literally have iPads. So, like, it even when they're, like, on the iPad, it really doesn't feel dated. It's like, yeah, I remember. I It, it feels like it would have come out in 2008 then, instead of 2001. <laughs> it feels like it came out in 2008. It's like, yeah, they've got fucking iPads. It's mental. It's literally mental. Like 2001. Oh, yeah. No, I, I really don't think that that film is aged badly at all. Um, yeah. Where, whereas horrible, it does feel in the 70s. 70s. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? James Kahn's suits lend a lot to that. They Although he, he does look incredible in those suits. Yeah. I, I wish wearing those clothes were acceptable today because I would rock the shit out of a collar like that. I would love to wear the suits that James Kahn is rocking in this film. Crazy cool suits. Yeah. You know, I was also thinking about some things that uh, I thought... There's one scene I'm thinking of now. It's, the more I think about it, the more pointless it feels. Um, so towards the end when he finally goes to Geneva to see this, uh, giant computer, cause he yeah. wants to find information. Mm-hmm. And I just think it was such a waste of time because I, maybe I'm just a bit of a nerd here, but I kind of know that like, so we've been told a lot in the film that books and other people, anything that's any, any information has been altered by the corporations that control the world. Cause they're controlling mm-hmm. information not to give people, I guess, ideas of rebellion or whatever. Yes. And so you're going to go there to ask a computer, which has like all the information that's been, yeah, all the information that it has is being changed. Mm-hmm. So like, it's just so it's not credible. Yeah. So of course it doesn't well, work. Well, I mean, we do find something out though. 
uh, when he what's the computer's name like zero something like yeah, that yeah yeah zero well there is uh, something tells me that there's there's something going on thematically there that I'm missing um, to include it I'm not sure I, I agree with you I'm not entirely sure what the purpose of that is but if I was to have a guess um, they specify that the 13th century was misfiled or was lost. Yeah. Like the, the guy. And I'm, I've, since watching the film for the second time, I'm thinking like, well, not the second time, but like recently, I'm thinking what important happened in the 13th century that could be relevant to maybe the government intentionally misfiling it, or maybe is it trying to talk about how... Um, unorganized they are or they don't know what they're doing where an entire century can go missing in the history you know archives mm. um so like because they refer to the computer as a filing cabinet and then they miss and then they misfiled the 13th century so yeah I, I i don't really know what they're saying but i feel like that scene is important thematically I'm, i just think i'm missing quite what they meant by it i don't know if you have any thoughts on it but it's interesting that you say that that maybe they don't know what they're doing and they're just making mistakes here and there and it's just a bit of a mess uh it makes me think of uh, a documentary maker i quite like called uh adam curtis who in one of his most recent documentaries kind of suggests that today we don't really have a vision of the future anymore uh, no society really has anything to aim for. Like, for example, if you go back into the 70s and the 80s and stuff, you have communism and capitalism. You have these opposing views and they give different ideas what the future should be. Uh, and now today, we've kind of run out. We don't really have that anymore. We don't really have well, any idea what the future can be in this corporate I mean world where only money uh, and corporate control exist. What, what is there really to do? What's the point of it, really? Well, so it's, well, it's interesting. Funny, it's funny you say that, because I saw something online the other day that, like, Saudi Arabia are going to, like, create a new city, and it's, like, a, just a line, and they're gonna and there's going to be no cars, and they're going to have public transport, and it's just going to be able to get anywhere in this city in 20 minutes or something. And this line is meant to be like hundreds of kilometers long. And it's just a line and everything built up on itself. And it'd have schools and everything. It'd have everything that you'd need in a city built up in, in this line just across the desert. And then on the outside, they were going to have a big mirror. So it just looks like it just looks like the desert. Mm. And I saw this video and I'm like, that can't be real. But apparently it is. People are yeah. telling me about it at work, and I'm like, that's mental. That sounds so futuristic. Sounds like uh, Brazil, doesn't it? Sounds like Brazil. Oh, or that's another great film, Brazil. Oh, Brazil's great. Yeah. But very, yeah, very this, this city is, like, I think it was a trillion dollar project, and it's going to mm. be called uh, uh, Neom or something like that. Neo mm. with an M on the end. Yeah, a lot of people being. I, I couldn't believe it was real. Yeah. There was, uh, I was joking with a few friends recently that. Um, imagine is that could be rules you're banished from the city and they just throw you out and you have like 24 hours no more like maybe not 24 hours like five hours till the sun rises 
mm. and the sun hits the giant mirror is going to eradicate you or something like this like <laughs> yeah it, it, it seems a bit ridiculous the whole idea of this basically a giant mirror because you imagine being like yeah. not too far from it and uh the sun just starts bouncing back i don't know like a hundred kilometers away it just burns down another city or something whoopsie yeah, it, just a giant, yeah just a giant kid with a magnifying glass and we become ants yeah yeah it'd be brutal it'd be absolutely brutal it'd be so funny though it'd be like really funny they put like they spend all this money put it up they realize it's way more dangerous to have it this way they have to take it all down again that'd be so funny Although wouldn't be good for the world economy, let's be honest. No. So we, we can't hope that it'll fail. We can't hope, but it would be amusing. Yeah. Um, let, let's go back to Rollerball because I think really the last thing we need to talk about is the last uh, game of the movie, the World mm -hmm. Cup, the, the, the championship final. And I love the ending as well. But we'll, I mean, we'll get into that in a sec. But the this, this game of Rollerball is bloody brutal like seriously brutal it's basically just a death match yeah it's basically just kill the other people on the other team yeah uh, yeah and that and it's encouraged and it's like and everyone gets on board and i just love how slowly throughout the game it just becomes so brutal and unrelenting that just the audience stops cheering and just but can't stop watching. Mm -hmm. You know they're st they're still watching, but they do sort of realize like, well, we're maybe taking this a little bit far. This death game, you know, not that any <laughs> death game can be taken, you know, but yeah, like, I mean, at least they eventually realized this is insane to have as a real sport. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, like when they're picking everyone off and you're like, no penalties, no timeouts. So it's like, right. So all the rules we went through earlier, right. All that's out the window. Just beat the living shit out of each other and maybe throw a ball into a hole if you can get around to it. Like, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. Um, but it's brilliant at the same time. And... I love how he outsmarts the guy by hiding behind the fire. Um, what do you think of that of that final uh, of that final scene? Because I, I bloody love it, and that final shot as well. I, I really want to talk about that final shot. I love it. Well, I, I don't know. I, I I didn't really. To be honest, I wasn't massively impressed. I mean, oh. I, I kind of guessed something like this was going to happen. Um, well, of course. But usually, with the tropes that have been established sort of after this, in terms of like the death game genre, is usually the guy will eventually just end up leading the rebels to some kind of uprising. Like, you know, it happens in Running Man, it happens in Hunger Games, uh, Battle Royale 2. Uh, so the the aftermath of Battle Royale one in the second one they pick up and like the winner of the original film is now like trying to take it to the establishment. Um, mm -hmm. So it you know it, they usually end up with the hero becoming the leader of of the rebellion. Although I well, this the thing that final shot though I guess sets that up because I do love that where he just he just you know. 
starts accelerating around the ring and everyone's just like Jonathan, Jonathan. Oh, I think it's really weird that his name's Jonathan. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna write a movie and you're gonna have a lot of extras chanting a name, I mean a better name, I reckon. Like Jonathan is just such a mouthful. Jonathan E. Not even like Johnny E, but Jonathan E. I just think is a really strange choice for us, you know, for something that you're gonna be hearing a lot throughout the movie. But they they, they start chanting Jonathan and he's accelerating and then the mute then it just freezes, the music hits, and it's like yeah. and then the fucking you know, we get that that crash zoom into his face, although the quality of the camera doesn't really hold up in that last no. shot. It really, really doesn't. But you know, you know exactly what's going to happen next. You know yeah. that he he he's uh, realized what his next thing is to do. Basically, he realizes yeah. that they see uh, me as something uh, to stand behind, and mm. you know that maybe he's going to uh, fight against uh, the status quo. Basically, you know it instantly from that shot. Yeah. So bloody good. So. I'm I'm guessing there are things you didn't like then because you didn't like the ending. Well, it's not that I didn't like it. It's just there wasn't, I wasn't as coming. impressed as uh, I think you were. Uh, I, I do love it. So, what other things are there that happened? Uh, also, representation of Asians. I was thinking is a bit uh, uh, that shows its age. Well, I think that they mostly put that on the Moon Pie character, who is the one that we were saying before. Well, who is? You say that, but the the Asian guy who comes in to do the uh, the like brief with them because they're going to play against Tokyo, they say that the 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 players on the Tokyo team utilize karate and Haikido, and I'm pretty sure Haikido is Korean. So, and you know what? I don't even think they really did, did they? Was there, I didn't. Did... I mean, I. I did karate for 13 years. I did not notice any karate. (laughs) They were just beating the snot out of each other. I didn't see any karate. I mean, I'm not saying I was very good at karate. And I didn't even even go all the way to black. But I did karate for many, many years. And I did not notice anything that I'd learned in there. But maybe maybe I'm from a different school, you know. I'm from Shotokan karate. I don't know what kind of karate they were doing. If any at all, <laughs> I uh, I don't think there was. Yeah. You know, uh, also I was thinking about is uh, where they filmed it. So I, I read. If you look on Wikipedia, one of the first things they mention is that Munich, uh, right? Yeah, they, I think they filmed it in the UK and in Germany, mm. but all the cast are American. Although yeah. I think some of the women are British because they didn't sound American, or maybe it's just the style they were speaking in the seventies. Well, to be, um, to be fair, there was that sort of like accentless accent that a lot of actors had, like Cary Grant and stuff, who were like sort of Englishy, Americany, you know, sort of super well spoken, and no one else, but no one actually speaks like that in real life. Yeah, and then um, there was a couple of moments thought that's definitely not in America. Like there was the <laughs> the scene where they um, started shooting those trees. Which I felt a bit bad about. How oh, they like destroyed five trees for this film, um, but it just looks that looks I like mean, England. Look, I mean, you know, you can't really get hung up, can you? If you, <laughs> I mean, it's a tree. 
the tree's 50 years old. There's been 50 years dead at this point, Craig. You know, yeah. nothing we can do about it now. We just plant a new one. They're like, don't you? Oh, I watch like those like old westerns from the 60s where they literally just push, push fucking horses down a fucking hill. And they're like, yeah, you know, we'll just sell it for glue when we're done. Like, gets to the bottom, legs are broken. Poor fucking horse. I feel really bad for horses in. 60s westerns your heart should be bleeding for the horses i mean yeah you got a point you got a point <laughs> i was also thinking about um there are a few shots we're talking about you know how it doesn't age well aesthetically mm. um towards the end i think when they're in it's going to switzerland yeah. and it's very modernist uh, buildings and i think that's definitely germany and it's like, I kind of found it a bit funny. Like the American idea of the future is Germany in the seventies, basically like just, <laughs> this is, this is, this is uh, an improvement of what we have basically. I mean, there was still a lot of fear about Germany in the seventies. I feel, you know, the, mm. the, the, the memory of the war wasn't quite as old as people would have liked. Um, like it's easy for us now to look back and think, Oh, it was only uh, it was only a war. But back then, it really, I, I think, yeah, I think there was still a lot of paranoia about Germany. You still had many people who'd lived in that war. Exactly, yeah. You know, so yeah, I, I think that there's probably an element of that. You know, Germans, you know, often playing bad guys in movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, that even, that carried on into the 90s, even, if you look at Die Hard, you know. Uh, I, always, I think about that now, but in the sense of Russians... There's always yeah. so I get so tired. It's like, oh, it's a Russian bad guy. Like, uh, for mm. even for example, Tenant, uh, or Tenant, yeah. sorry, uh, they're the bad guys. Russian. I'm like, come on, like, can we have mm. some diversity in our bad guys, please? <laughs> especially, especially, especially when you've got a Northern Irish lad to play the Russian. Yeah, and you know, it's like Kenneth Branagh could have played that. Yeah, it was a strange choice to go Russian. I felt with Tenant. I do like that movie, though. Really yeah. like that movie. Um, all right. Well, I think that's pretty much rollable. Yeah. Should we pretty try much. and summarize it? Uh... Fucking amazing. It's a great <laughs> fucking movie. What else is there to say? We've literally just spent an hour saying it's a fucking great movie. That's it. That's all. That was that. You know what? Let's cut the whole podcast and we just release. It's a fucking good movie and be done with it. We can do That's that, it. like, for many shows, if you... Like, for any film, just open like that. It's a oh, fucking yeah. good thing. Watch it. That, it'll that. just be a list. Yeah. So, that, all right, guys, you've seen a, d a development in the podcast happen before your ears. Uh, now it's completely changing. Completely changing. Now don't expect it to be longer than 10 seconds a pop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. dear. But yeah, uh -oh. no, it, it's a bloody brilliant movie. It's it it walks themes that we've seen before, but it does it first. So I love it. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those influential ones. It's one of those seventies gems that probably many people haven't heard of. But it's mm. uh, you'll see how influential it is when you watch it, uh, and on multiple ways actually, in terms of like this kind of uh, death match kind of thing. Uh, yeah. I also did dystopian ideas. Uh, because that also you can see that in other things, um, other other films, yeah. other like that have nothing to do with sports. You know, it's just a dystopian kind of theme. Oh um, yeah, I, you see it in things like Equilibrium and The Matrix, even. You know? Even more, yeah, yeah, and even like even not even much longer after this film, you even have Blade Runner. 
which yeah, I'm not yeah. sure when that came out. Roughly 82. the same year? 82. Ah, maybe it preceded it then. Um, yeah, it's uh, super influential and people should definitely watch it. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I really hope. If anything, this podcast has done, it should be to get more people interested in Rollable. It is a bloody good film. Um, yeah. And I think a bit of an unsung gem of the 70s. There's a lot of well-known films from the 70s. And I think this should be one of them. It is great. Yeah. Cool. I think we should yeah. say goodbye now. <laughs> we should. But before we do, I think the humble listeners at home deserve to get a little, a little flavour of what's to come in the next episode. Now... I know that we haven't really discussed this, Craig. Mm -hmm. um, but do you have any ideas? Otherwise, I do have an idea. I'm wondering. You're talking about the next one, right? I am. I yeah. Am. Uh, are we going to keep going with the 70s? Or are we going to look for something newer? Are we going to also... We could also do some films we hate. Uh, I mean, so there's a lot of ways we can take this. Agreed. But I would, I would like to keep it with the theme of one of us has seen it, one of us hasn't. I really like the theme. I want to keep rolling with it. So if we can... Yeah, okay, guys. Let's let's do it this way. We're going to hit up the 70s again next episode. And then maybe we'll mix it up after that. Yeah. Although I, really want, to, I really want to do Death Race 2000 now that I know you haven't seen it. <laughs> it's, it's your episode next. So you have to pick the film. But when it okay, so we're going to do the next two episodes. Maybe just do like five episodes then. Five episodes in the seventies, and then we'll pick a new era. Yeah, yeah. And we can just, we nice can just keep it on rotation. Keep it on rotation. So you know, we'll eventually come back to the seventies with five new films. I think that's fair. I think that that's be fair. Fun. Yeah. All right, let's do it that way. All right. So thank you all for coming on this excellent journey with us. I'm so glad that Craig finally watched Rollerball. It's not the first time I've mentioned it to him. So I'm <laughs> glad that you guys were here to bear witness, bear witness to, to Craig liking a recommendation that I've been nagging him to watch. So I'm glad you liked it too. Nice. Yeah. Thanks, man. It was fantastic. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, my name's Tobias and I'm an idiot. And I'm Craig, and I don't know if I'm an idiot. Maybe I am, probably. If you don't know you're an idiot, maybe you are an idiot. I mean, uh, uh, some sort of, uh, you know, self-awareness probably makes you transcend idiocy. So maybe I'm not an idiot. And maybe you're the idiot. <laughs> Possible. All right, guys. Thanks for coming out with us. Much love. One love. We'll see you in the next episode. And until then, love you, Craig. <laughs> love you too, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Shrapnel!